Hi, Jack. Hello, buddy. How are we? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. Here we are again. I know. It's good, isn't it? It is good, yeah. We've had some lovely responses from our episodes with Jason and, and with Nick, haven't we? Good old Jace, good old Nick. Yeah, they were good. They were good fun. Yeah, good really blokes. good. Um, a lot of fun. So I just needed to tell you, because I don't know if you recall that when we did our Worst Auditions episode, do you remember we told I went in for Mamma Mia? To play Sky all those uh, many, many years ago. Yes, me and the listeners are on tenterhooks. <laughs> I got called last week uh, by agent saying, do you want to go in for Mamma Mia to play one of the dads? Yep. Um, Harry, who I believe is, uh, he comes out, does he, in the end? Or there's a sort of gay storyline. I, I can't don't recall know. seeing it. Obviously, I'd love to get the part if anyone's listening. But um, well, yes, I went in to audition for, or well, I had to do a tape for Harry. And I don't know if you remember, previously, my first audition of Sky was quite traumatising because I totally messed it up, forgot my words. And we all know, yeah. Yeah, it's a great yeah, story. And so this time I <laughs> did the scene, which I thought was pretty good, if I say so myself. And then Fair. they wanted me to sing Our Last Summer, the ABBA hit yes. that Harry sings. Yes. And so when I went to do it, I said yes and approved the tape and everything and spoke to my agent and said, yeah, no, I'd love to do that. It'd be quite a good laugh. And... Um, I can't, I can't get the notes. I couldn't get the top two notes. <laughs> We've all so been there, like, ladies oh, and gentlemen. God. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm just going to sing it in my octave oh, comfortably no, and do a version that I could do. No, 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 and no. And then no. I thought I'd butcher a version and send that as well. But okay, when I was yeah. doing the butchered version, I just couldn't get the last two notes. And you know when you're going <laughs> squeezing, and yeah, doing squeezing things. And the more I couldn't get it, the more tense I got. And mm-hmm. in the end, I just had to email my agent i was like i don't yet i mean see if you want to send this or not but i i, I have, don't think we should send this have they version. sent it did they say yes did they veto that or uh, we sent the version of me in the octave down uh just in case but um needless to say that was it was it proper low was it proper light? No, it's lovely that because it did say on the thing like tenor slash baritone, which is a poor briefing as far as I'm concerned. I'm a baritone, not a tenor. Yeah. But the the notes they sent were very much a tenor. What is what is the top of your range, just for interest? Let's uh, let's move on. So um <laughs> speaking of I, I lied I lied uh, I lied on my dear and handsome one, but I still managed to get through it. Anyway, speaking of music. Yeah, but you've actually got a genuinely good voice as we saw in your oh, hashtag tapes of the week. Stop it. Um Anyway, musical anyway. theatre is a good link to today's guest. I'm genuinely excited. Yes. So let's cue theme tune. It's Stage Door Athletic with Jack Loxton and Rob Shaw Cameron. Please take your seats. Kickoff is about to commence. proper national treasure territory here. Today's guest burst onto our screens as the fresh-faced dinner lady Anita in Victoria Wood's hit 90s sitcom of the same name. She went on to star in over 650 episodes of Coronation Street as Sunita, as well as starring in the hit TV shows Where the Heart Is, River City, EastEnders, Adulting, Midsummer Murders, Inside Number 9, Love, 
Doctor Who and producer James's favourite, just recently, Brassic, <laughs> to name just a few. <laughs> she played Ray in the hit West End musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie, a role she played in the movie as well, and is actually now reprising that role on the UK tour, currently in Birmingham, where she's coming to us live right now. She's also written her moving memoir, Remember Me, which also chronicles the loss of her mother to dementia in 2019. She's a graduate of Arabic and Middle Eastern politics, an honorary doctor of letters, the deputy lieutenant of Manchester. What a title. Appointed by the late Queen. <laughs> I mean, that's obviously we've got to ask about that. A campaigner <laughs> on anti-racism and Asian women's issues, speaks six languages, and perhaps most relevantly, but equally troubling to a lad from Leeds, she is that rarest of all things, a Manchester United fan from Manchester. <laughs> Described as the northern heroine of a nation by none other than the incredible poet Lemsey, say, please welcome the extraordinarily talented, all-round impressive and hugely admirable Lancashire lass, Shobna Galati. Yes. Introduction. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you it was good, show. Is that all true? Listen, I'm in my uh, I'm in my away uh, digs. Yes, in Birmingham right now, and uh, that's quite an impressive CV. <laughs> it, it is. It? it is. It really is. To hear someone else say that, and to to make you reflect on all the things you've achieved, it must must make you think, doesn't it? It makes me think I'm very, very old. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. It's so funny. When you think back to some of the things you've done over your career, from comedy to singing and starting, of course, with your passion for dance and your campaigning, being a mother, where do you sit most comfortably in any of those descriptions, do you think? I don't know. I think I just fit in, uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's clearly not true. That's not true. Well, I think, you know, this is quite a big question for the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't go with a warm-up, did we? No. <laughs> Rob went flying in. I'm, I'm going to go with what's the words. I think it's been quite a journey for somebody, for a woman of colour in this country who wanted to be on the stage, you know, from being very young. Yeah. So if you think about it, I'm a child of the 60s, so there were very few people that I could look up toward on, on the television and on the stage at the time uh, when, you know, when I was just starting out. So I think it was Indian dance that really kind of started off my career because my parents were very keen for me to learn about culture beyond living in Britain that I was very much a part of Lancashire culture growing up mm -hmm. but my father and mother really wanted me to learn music and dance that was from my heritage yeah so they took me to see things they were you know they organized artists to come over from India so I, I saw a lot of that kind of thing when I was little yeah that's what inspired me and I became a classical Indian dancer in the style of Bharatanatyam yeah incredible yeah I suppose it's dance where I sit well where the majority of my life sat comfortably mm -hmm. and you know until my hips went <laughs> <laughs> and so was that was that performance element through dance in your parents as well were they educated in similar traditions no in fact my mum's tone deaf was tone deaf she couldn't sing a note so and um, but she loved to dance at the kitchen sink washing up yeah pretending she was in some bollywood movie and then my sisters were in a band called the golden eagles and they sang abba 
The Beatles and Bollywood. What a band. Oh my God, it's a classic combo, isn't it? Classic combo, that one, yeah, definitely. Imagine some lads from lads from Oldham in sort of like big Ray-Bans. <laughs> Not Ray-Bans, but do you know those ones that they used to wear on that cop show called Chips? I don't know, you're too young. The Aviators. The Aviators, yeah, the big yes. round ones, yeah. Big round Aviators, camel-coloured suits. And then my sister's looking glamorous. They, they sort of were the front... You know, we were quite we were quite an out there family. Fantastic. All those stereotypical things about, you know, Indian parents not wanting their children to, you know, do acting, singing or dancing. My father was really keen that we did all of that. Mm, so fantastic. And I just used to watch them doing that. I was quite a shy child. Yeah, so I suppose that all that has been in my blood for a long time. We were the you know, the family fun trap. <laughs> and that breeds confidence to have that kind of support network so early on and and to be thrusted into the dancing scene. So when did it kind of translate into to acting and the need to be on stage or the want to be on stage? Well, the thing about South Asian classical traditions is that we don't sort of separate anything. Mm. So in, you know, in a Western style, you have musicians, you have dancers, you have actors. And yeah. it's all separate. But in our, you know, in the ancient tradition, you will have to be skilled in all three. Natural born triple threaters. How amazing is that? <laughs> yes, because you have to learn to sing. You have to learn to play to accompany your dancing, whether, you know, rhythmically. Mm. You have to learn to play an instrument alongside that, whether that is your voice or to actually play an instrument. And then you have to learn to dance and act because you're predominantly acting out stories, cultural stories or religious stories. So, yes, triple, quadruple threats. I'm very jealous. Yeah. Me and Rob are very jealous. That would have helped in your Mamma Mia audition, Rob. It would. I'd just love to be known as a single threat, to be honest. That would, uh, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be really happy to, to settle for that. And, of course, now your, your son is an actor. That is that right? Yes, he's in Everybody's Talking About Jamie as well. Is he? Fantastic. No way, because wow. you did Little Boys together recently as well, didn't you? Yeah, we did uh, The Rise and Fall of Little Boys where he played, what did he play? Really cute, <laughs> socially anxious Billy. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was that a good casting or were you thinking, hang on a minute, this is not my lad? No, he's he's really good. At, he's a good actor. He can play. He can play what he wants to play, really. He's quite interesting. He's quite a cool dude to play. Socially Anxious Billy was interesting. I've seen him play it as well. He's been in another production of Little Boys at Bolton Octagon, and I saw him yeah. there. I just thought, oh, my goodness, is that my son? Where's all yeah. this coolness gone? <laughs> yeah, amazing. It is interesting. It is. And what about Oldham? Because it's, a, I mean, there's so many people have come out of that little yeah. part of Greater Manchester, hasn't yeah, there? There's a creative have. scene. And obviously it's come into the spotlight with the Coliseum recently and all the rest mm. of it. But it's an amazing little spot, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it must be something in the water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Octagon as well in Bolton's a fantastic little theatre as well. Do some amazing shows yeah. there. It's interesting because I've really never played the Octagon. I've done some readings, you know, stuff like that. But it's my son who's been there. He's been about three times. Yeah. Do you have a strong tie there? Do you have any uh, sort of connections with any places there? Because I know me and Rob are kind of, we're kind of home birds as well. Do you Do you like to keep up to date with what's going on in that little pocket of Manchester? Yeah, of course, of course. Mm. And, you know, um, 
trying to solve what's happening with the the Oldham Coliseum at the moment mm. is uh, you know foremost in a lot of our minds really. And just for listeners, I feel like I'm turning into uh, Rory Stewart here on the rest of politics, but for you know for our international <laughs> listeners, yes. well, the Oldham <laughs> the Oldham Coliseum is a, a, a really historically relevant theatre in a small part of Greater Manchester that has punched way above its weight for a number of years and has faced closure in recent times. Is that right, Shobhana? Replacement with a, a, a you know, a theatre that doesn't have all the facilities mm. it really needs to have to, you know, produce the quality work that Oldham has been making over, you know, the last, you know, century. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It's interesting. Oh, you said something there that was really interesting, and I've forgotten what to say to that in reply but it'll come back to me <laughs> yeah because i know certainly being on cory so many people came out of oldham and the young people's workshop yeah. that came out of the costume yes. as well that's right so now the interesting thing about that is it a young woman you know from a south asian background it was really difficult to get into oldham theater workshop and to work at the coliseum in fact i've never really I've never been in a play at the Coliseum. So what we did was, in Oldham, this is what I wanted to say, is we founded our own company called Peshkar, mm, which oh, wow. is still going today. Ah, oh, fantastic. Out of that, you've got Balvinder Sopal, who's now in EastEnders. Yeah. Liam Fox, who is in Emmerdale. But they came out of Peshkar. Fantastic. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we couldn't find a space for us or for the kind of theatre that we wanted to do back in the day. You know, and then Peshkar did a show at the Oldham Coliseum in front of Saturday night, Sunday morning. Yes, yes. That's wow. how our work developed and that's how my work developed as a, an actor and a maker. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Oldham's a very interesting place and it really has to move with the times, but not, you know, not obliterate history. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's about finding that balance. Where did your funny bones come from, Shobna? Who do you think have been the influences that either family or external? I think it's my mum. She's very Is dry it? humoured. I mean, when we talk <laughs> about the family bond trap, she was the lady who made the clothes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she kind of... She it's her dry sense of humour. She's you know very witty. I don't know what it is about about how my mother was, but she was she was she was definitely that way. She just had that kind of I don't know kind of very cool approach to stuff. Yeah, you know, would when she was holding court, that's it. Everybody would listen. Maybe it was just the discipline in that household, <laughs> listen or get smacked. But otherwise, <laughs> she was kind of yeah. She was. Uh, the person where I think I've got that from Funny Bones is really interesting because when I first auditioned for Victoria Wood, yes, that was interesting. Oh my god, I bet. yeah, I bet. it was. You know, I didn't realize I really, or did I? Yeah, no, I did know I had Funny Bones in my first job, and that's how I became an actor. Really, it's because, um, yeah, I don't know whether any of you have played Theatre or Stratford East. Yes, I directed there a couple of years ago. I directed their panto. Two, yeah, you two did. Years ago. You did, yeah. Oh, it's a brilliant theatre. Yeah. Mm. In that theatre, as an actor, you have the audience in the palm of your hand. It feels like they're on stage with you. Yeah. Mm. You know, I realised I was funny when that exchange was happening. Yeah. I played some foolish character in, in, in a in a, a, a in a play about Bollywood and um and you, if you can bring the house down 
in Stratford East, you know your funny. Yes, <laughs> yes. And of course, that was historically and famously um, in its heyday run by Joan Littlewood, you know, yeah. a, a really strong female theatrical pioneer. Mm. And so what was it? Go, I know it's 25 years ago now, but take us back to being on the set in Dinner Ladies and those extraordinary women. Because what an amazing... What an amazing cast. cast. That cast ama- was incredible. Well, it, well, it was an amazing... But the, the audition process itself was really hard, you know. I met Vic and... I met the casting director. I was on tour doing, I don't know, what was it? Um, Midsummer and Alex Dream. Hmm. So it was playing Helena. Of course. Nice. And then I came off, went to this audition with this casting director. She said, I wanted to meet you before you meet Vic. And I went, Okay. She said, uh, Judy Hayfield at Coronation Street met you last year for something. Obviously, I didn't get it then. Mm-hmm. And she said that you would be really good for this series. So I wanted to meet you first because I know you're a bit older and we need a girl who can look 20. So I said, well, here I am. <laughs> she goes, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Anyway, then I met Vic and uh, Vic said, um, well, I'll tell you the story because it's it's a bit ridiculous. So yeah. I had to read from um from the script. In the script, there was a line about a dildo and a lilo, <laughs> <laughs> and I yes. said to Vic, "Right in the eye, I don't know what a lilo is." <laughs> <laughs> incredible! Incredible! <laughs> And the rest is history. There you oh go. Oh my god! Oh my so word! Funny. What a story! Oh, I love things like that. How moment, you know, like whole careers can change on a moment. hundred percent. Like, yeah. So crazy. And that that is the moment that it changed. And then and then she looks at me. She goes, "Well, you haven't got any television, have you?" And I said, "No." She said, "We've well, done a bit of theatre." So I said, "Yeah." She goes, "And you danced around a lot." And went. <laughs> and then she said, "Oh, you're really clever." And she said, there's something so beautiful about making you, who you are so clever, into somebody who's really dim. Yeah. Yes. And there, was great, there was great charm in that character that you managed to find around It really that. was, yeah. You made it quite a complex character, even though on paper it might have just been dim. But the, all of you in that cast were just such a joy to watch. And the chemistry must have been amazing between you all. It was, it was. And I think it's in the writing, though, because, it, mm. you know, in that tuned sort of, northern humor style you know where there's happy in the sad and there's sad in the happy Mm, that's definitely in that writing and you know that's what stayed with me now for the longest time all the clues to building character are in the words that you say you Mm. know when actors say oh i wouldn't say that well how do you know you would say that you're not the person until you are the person you're playing yeah so you've got to give it a chance you really have, and you've got to put. I mean, I totally agree with what you what you said, but it puts a lot of emphasis on the writer in that instance, isn't it? And when you really trust great writers, of which Victoria Wood really was, wasn't she? So she really was incredibly yeah. clever. Um, then you know you do just have to put that faith there. But you, I mean, I do believe that as you know, we are vehicles to people's words. Mm. Yeah, and I do believe that, and I think that you know with new work and developments and new writers and all of that and all the things that you do i honestly think you know the first things on paper you've got to look at them first yeah before you decide that your character wouldn't say that yeah 100 yeah. i've been in a room where people have gone oh i don't think my character would say that and i think well how do you know yet mm. and, i also you know, think sorry no carry on, on. you carry on 
<laughs> you carry on. <laughs> but I think, because I, I think it really makes me think, so I've had that conversation many times as a director around actually really stepping towards the joy of the inconsistency and unexpected of what it is to be human. Yeah. None of us exist on a linear line between no. A and B. What Absolutely. defines our character is the inconsistency, the contradiction. That actually is really fascinating. The more you step towards that and think, well, why are they saying that rather than, I'm, I don't think they would say that. You know, you're going to mine some fantastic territory. Well, it is the contradiction of the parts that we all have as humans that is the interesting part. And if a writer can tap in on that, it just makes an actor's job so much easier and a hell of a lot more fun. And I can imagine, I mean, those Dinner Lady scripts were genius and they did exactly that. Yeah, they they were absolute genius. And there was, you know, there was trouble at Mill, you know. It's well documented (laughs) that it wasn't exactly the happiest set to be on because it Mm. was tough. You know, Vic was a taskmaster mm, yeah, and allowed to be that because she was a genius. But coming with that kind of geniusness, I don't know what you call it, <laughs> coming with that, you want everything to be absolutely right. She helped me approach words like music. So if you imagine the commas and the full stops and the exclamation marks, they're all rhythmical, the capital letters. They're all like, you know, your crotchets, your semi-breathes, your quavers, your, all of that. Mm. And and she wrote it like that. So it's almost like you had to honour that rhythm of those words and, you know, the alliterations or the, the repetitions, the full stops, commas, everything. So in that way, that's... And that's comedy. I think comedy is in rhythm. 100%, yeah. And timing, it is. It's it's definitely rhythmical. That's all I can say now at 57 years old and I'm still... <laughs> well, it's amazing what an apprenticeship that must have been. And I, I'd heard that a lot about Victoria Wood and friends who'd, who've worked with her as well, about that sort of fastidiousness and the attention to detail and the sort of really quite... Your driven work ethic and, and mm. how the consequence of that can be, you know, a bit of tension around a, a situation for sure. You see, the thing is that Vic didn't, but it didn't count on, you know, meeting a, a South Asian whose work ethic is like, <laughs> 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 you know, I am, you know, I don't, I wish I wasn't like this, but I want to get it right. And I want to make sure that everybody else gets it right. These poor people and everybody's talking about Jamie. I go, can I make an offer? Um, <laughs> God, the amount of times I've heard that on a stage. Can I make an offer? Such a great phrase. It's such a great phrase. There's a full stop here. Do you think, um, did you realise there's a full stop here? I know there's a question mark here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Aggravate. I'm sure everybody <laughs> wants to lock me away. But there is something to be said about um, some actors who are, and especially in comedy as well, you hear a lot about comedians who are so fastidious about their work. I mean, Victoria, with Steve Coogan as well, he's so razor sharp and precise with everything that he says, every word that is uttered, every move that is done. But, you know, that kind of adds to their genius, that sort of thing. And it kind of works yeah, with, with Victoria as well. It does. And, and having, you know, I'm in Birmingham now, and, it, the, you know, this is the place where, you know, New Faces was for yep. Vic and this is the place where she met Julie Walters yeah you know and I said think about meeting Julie in the room you know in rehearsal and watching how precise she was in creating Petula Gordino God, yeah. I mean 
Julie, if you play her back or forward, her continuity is absolutely bang on. She knows what she's doing every single time. Mm. You know, every gesture, every eyebrow raise, every twitch, every nose, you know, every cheek, every smile, everything that she does is so rehearsed mm. and so deliberate yeah a true master um i julie waters i mean talk if you've brought her up i would like to say she's obviously from down the road from where i'm from from where i'm recording now when i was at drama school i was running out of money i had absolutely no money to my name and i randomly emailed julie walters and said hey have you got any advice or anything two weeks later there was 500 quid in my account and she came to see cabaret yeah. We did, Rob. Yes, I remember bumping into her in the foyer. Yeah, she was. She is an incredible woman. No, not just a genius at her craft, but such a lovely, lovely human being. Yeah, amazing woman. Absolutely. I remember, um, and when we were filming Dinner Ladies, I filmed a short film in the turnaround. This was the second series of Dinner Ladies, and that was going out concurrently. So they needed a turnaround week to lead up to the Minellium, as they called it, as they called it, the Minellium. <laughs> had a week off so that they could get it all ready to start being screened simultaneously as we were filming it. So in that week off, here we go with my work ethic again, I'd been, I'd been, I had, I'd auditioned for a short film called Shadow Scan, mm. so written and directed by Tinge Krishnan, and it was in conjunction with the BFI and Channel 4. Now, I had to jump through hoops to get that part. I must have gone through about 10 minutes short, about four or five auditions, and then I had to read it in front of all the big bosses at Channel 4 back in the day because it was Film 4 and it was just the beginnings of Film 4 and all of that. Mm, yeah. So I did all of that and uh, I got the part and we filmed it in this turnaround week. Anyway, this film goes on to win the BAFTA, it's a two-hander with me and Paul Baisley, and it goes on to win the BAFTA yeah. uh, the following year. And Julie's on the red carpet with a Billy Elliot. Of course, yeah. And uh, this is my first sort of... I mean, I know I'd done some comedy awards with Victoria and everybody, but this was mm. sort of like the most massive award ceremony I'd ever been to. And I just turned up there, and, and Julie ran down the carpet and went, Show now! Show now! <laughs> And, you know, it's so generous of her to be yeah. so welcoming and to, she, she says, what are you doing here? What are you, you're here. Look. <laughs> and then and then when we won as well, she said, I saw your little face. Oh, bless oh, her. Amazing. Incredible. So what do you talked about that kind of continuity ethic and, and the detail of knowing physically where you are at any given time. So 650-odd episodes of Coronation Street over the years must have really honed that as yeah. an art. I don't know whether that hones that as an art because, you know, if you think about a soap opera, if you think about a character, the character only knows what she's doing or they're doing when they're doing that episode. Yeah. Because writers on soap operas can have you down a lift shaft and dead <laughs> by the end of the week. <laughs> yeah. You know. oh, so you only know what you're doing in the episode that you're doing it, in my view. I mean, yes. some of the people might think differently, but I, 
I don't think that. I think it's like it's human stories, isn't it? So as it is. with all of us, we don't know what we're doing tomorrow and we don't know whether we'll end up somewhere else in life. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So that's how I approach her. Yes. But that said, you did have to learn the rover shuffle, didn't you, to get through the door? <laughs> oh, yes. Shuffling. Is that a thing? Can you explain that to a layman? What's that? So the rover shuffle is, so you slide through the door without actually showing that you're in the studio. Right. <laughs> okay. So that you don't see all the lights and the pretend window and the pretend opposite side of the street. <laughs> see, it's not as glamorous as people make it out. People go, oh, telly and theatre and stuff. No, it's all hanging apart and we're just trying to cover yeah. angles. That's literally it and stand yeah. in the right place. <laughs> My very first scene was in The Rover's Return and I had to learn that quick smart because, of course, all the adrenaline of the moment and the energy yeah. is yeah. that you sort of pull open the door and march through to into the moment. And, of course, there's just a, a sort of... You know, not to offend anyone in the art department, but, you know, not the most effective picture of the opposite side of the street, you know, about a metre beyond the actual door with loads of wires in between. So, <laughs> yeah, you can't give that away, which obviously I did. <laughs> I don't know quite how it is in the um, in the new set now. Mm. I don't know what it's like. on. You know, Exactly in... the same. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, it was just more walls that come out. Um, but yeah, very, very funny. In your life, have you seen anything like that? Now we've got to talk sports. Yes. This yeah. is our, you know, this is our... Uh... So I'm in my dressing room in my away outfit, which says... Uh, but he's talking about J.B. Shobner, Glassy Ray on it. Perfect. Away yes. kit on. She's got her away kit on. Very good, yes. Well, we, we, we did sort of flirt with the idea of coming to, to meet you in your dressing room and we were, we were pitching that to you as an, as an away fixture yeah. that we could come from Stage or Athletic and, and hang out in your dressing room. But you're a lifelong <laughs> Man United fan. From Manchester. ticket holder. Are you still a season ticket holder? Yes. Oh, you poor, poor girl. Bad luck. Right. <laughs> So where did that all come from? Talk about the origins of that. Where did that that love affair begin? That love affair began with my dad. Mm. And uh, my dad had season tickets for Manchester United. So my dad was a huge uh, sports man. He played football, cricket, badminton. Uh, You know, when he came to England, he came to finish his training off as a doctor, but you know, with the uh, rise of the NHS and post-war Britain, mm-hmm. he ended up having to practice sooner rather than later. Oh, yeah. He didn't come to finish training. He came to work. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what he did. But, you know, he was this all-rounder. He was called the best all-rounder of his year group or whatever. Yeah, fantastic. So we'd go to United with a packed lunch, flask of tea, because you could take food in in those days. Yes. Look after the ticket wallets and I really like them. And Dad would like just sort of sit there talking about players and managers and tactics. And I started in the late 70s and I was really little. And what I really remember is like holding my dad's hand. And you know how nobody's jeans fit their bums? (laughs) (laughs) All I... (laughs) Yes. All I could remember... (laughs) Walking into the ground was all these massive lads in front of me, ill fitting jeans and their the tops of their bum cracks. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right, Shona. Sounds about right. So then he'd like, 
he'd cheer and he'd just hold his head in his hands. And then there was this lady two seats down who looked like Meanie Roberts from Coronation Street. <laughs> and she gets so frustrated that she'd like smash her hands down onto her lap and her, and her specs would fly off. <laughs> and, you know, so I've seen the teams of Dave Sexton, Ron Atkinson. Oh, wow. By the time Sir Alex came, I, you know, was a student and, you know, we'd been propped up in the Stratford end after a night out. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's really changed with the United. And I know, you know, we've been winners and losers and winners and losers and winners and losers all the time, you know, and they're just they're the most frustrating and most entertaining team. And I, I just love it. I can't. It's theatre. It is the theatre of dreams. I mean, at the moment, well... it's the theatre of nightmares. But... <laughs> One of my questions that I was going to ask you is, is Old Trafford really the theatre of dreams? Because I don't think it is anymore, anyway. Well, because I've been to, I love football grounds. And, you know, when I was touring with Mamma Mia, World Tour I did, I, I went to all the football grounds where we went. Brilliant. You know, I'd, I'd go and visit football grounds because I, I just love them. They're like, I think they're the theatre for the people. And I know that we try as theatre practitioners to do theatre for the people, but there is something more accessible about sport than art. And I know that's really controversial to do on an art, on a podcast or to say that. It's just that theatre taps in, um, theatre of dreams or the theatre of sport taps into something so deeply primeval in us. We're nodding, Shobna. We're nodding. I love that. I yeah. love that, you know. 110%. Well, that's the premise of this podcast, and you've said it so eloquently, but it is just, it's 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 humanity and drama all in a cauldron with 50,000 people watching. It's just pure adrenaline. And it is so exciting. You see everybody there. It's brilliant. And it is the blood, sweat, and tears, and it's the joy, and it's the pain, it's the sunshine, it's the rain in Manchester. And I know that the stadium is not state-of-the-art like it was back in the day. You know, and it needs to move on. And there's a lot of problems at United that need things need to change. But it's not about the stadium as such. The Theatre of Dreams is made by the fans. So I would argue that it's still the Theatre of Dreams. I believe you. After that rousing speech, I believe you. And I think Old Trafford's... I've only been to Old Trafford a few times in my footballing life. There's something better of, for me... I mean, being an Albion fan, I'm a West Brom fan, being around the corner from Villa Park. Villa Park mm. is my favourite ground in the country because it's slightly falling down, very traditional. Um, you're on top of the pitch, you're on top of each other. And it's the same sort of thing of Old Trafford, but with just a bit more kind of drama and the seats and, you know, more people in there. I love Old Trafford. And yeah, it does probably need to do it, but I'd have Old Trafford over the Emirates or the Etihad any day. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been to both grounds, and this is going to sound controversial, but I'm going to say it. You know, with Everton moving, yeah, and that that that's made me a bit sad because I really love that ground. It's an amazing ground. It's an amazing ground, and it's an amazing atmosphere. And then you know, and I know this rivalry, and I know all of that's there. You know, between people from Liverpool and people from Manchester, but that's kind of like has a very family oriented atmosphere it's very sort of grassroots feeling there that i really enjoy yeah there's something about community and football which i think is what you know and the fact that my father you know comes comes from india plays football 
his heroes are all in England. You know, this is way before the internet. We're talking the 50s and 60s. Gets gets his news through, I don't know, print. Mm, yeah. You know, loves the idea of the football league in England. And, you know, takes me there. And I think the reason why it's Old Trafford is because he played cricket, my father, and he was second team Lancashire. Oh, fantastic. So he his... His colleague and friend was Farouk Engineer, who played first team for Lancashire. So my dad was a member of Lancashire Cricket Club. So I also went there with him, but there I wasn't allowed in, you know, to the... Because in those days you couldn't have women in the players' area. Mm. You know, I think women only made sandwiches and um, made tea. Yeah. You know, after we'd gone to watch a game, I'd have to wait for him on the steps. And, you know, there was Old Trafford just over the way, the other Old Trafford. Yeah. The fact of the proximity in Manchester and the fact that he did all of this sport and it just seemed natural to him. And, you know, I have disowned my child. <laughs> Who just, oh, no. Uh-oh. What, what, what's the allegiance? Is he blue? Well, at one point, he said to me, I'd like to support Portsmouth. Hey. Eh? And I went, sorry, What? <laughs> I mean, you can move out if you're going to <laughs> Portsmouth. That's an odd one. That's a very odd one. Where did um, that come from? Yeah, where did that come know. from? I don't know. I don't know. Very odd. So yeah, talking going back to Manchester United. I mean, you know, massive football club and and how inclusive those areas of being in the stands and from every background and all that kind of stuff. What, what's what's your take on the representation of of South Asian footballers? in the Premier League because it's been a conversation. I mean, I'm from, I'm from Birmingham, West Brom. West Brom and mm. has got a massive um, Sikh, Hindu, South Asian following. And West Brom have always been sort of at the forefront of inclus- inclusivity and, you know, with the three degrees and, and, and black players coming through and stuff. But, and we've tried our hardest to try and get South Asian players coming through. And the girls, the women's team, there's Miriam Mahmood. She's number nine for West Brom's women's yeah. and stuff. But in terms of the men's game, what do you think is holding back, you know? I think it's the same as within the cricket. Mm. There is institutional racism and you can't, you can't, we can't deny that that doesn't happen. I think, you Mm. know, nobody really wants to talk about it. Mm. It is, you know, they are dirty words. And, you know, I've got to say that it exists and it's really difficult. I mean, how many black managers do we have? Yeah. Yeah. Black and South Asian managers do we have? It is difficult. And I think that with, you know, speaking from my background and how I was brought up, for me to want to go on the stage, you know, my conversations with my parents were tough. Yeah. Mm. You know, who is there that does this, Shobna? No one. Yeah. You know, the mm. odd person. You know, Trevor McDonald, we all watched him on the television because he was the only other person of colour or Moira Stewart, yeah. you know, who is there for you, show, mm. to follow in the footsteps of? And it's a really big concern. How will you get, How? who's going to break down those barriers? And that's what I said, you know, we formed Peshkar in Oldham mm-hmm. yeah. because Oldham Theatre Works from Oldham Coliseum were still ivory towers, you know, even though I went to watch things. And I'm grateful that I went to watch things and I'm grateful for them being there. I didn't have access. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. It just takes, you know, it shouldn't just take one person or two people or three people, you know. 
Does that feel a conscious responsibility that you bear around being a, a, a visible role model for young women of Asian origin? Yeah, I do. I feel I feel responsible. The interesting thing now is, and I'll speak like an old lady now, but you know, some some of our young people who are in this business think that they're inventing it. Mate, we've been inventing it a long time. It's just that we've been doing it in a different way. And also, we didn't have the kind of language and support and the backing and allyship that people have now. Yeah. You know, we fought the actual grassroots racism front front and centre. You know, when I was teaching in the Tower Hamlets, I had chairs thrown at me, mm. you know. Mm. I, you know, had mini riots. You know, if you're teaching cultural dance in, in Minsthorpe in you know, in the old mining communities in Minsthorpe. Mm -hmm. I did a whole project there in a school and there were times when I just walked away but then eventually got through to the young people. But, you know, I've had the P word thrown at me. Mm -hmm. I've had all sorts. I've had chairs mm -hmm. thrown at me. You know, you've just got to understand that the struggle is real and the opportunities are not as open as we think that they might be. And when people, you know, when I get asked about racism, I just think, well, you're still asking about it because it still exists. Yeah. And it, there are still barriers to moving forward. And it's not safe, is it? I would say, like, my son uh, could play football. And, you know, I encouraged him. as I was a single parent, so I could only encourage him as far as, you know, my femaleness could. Mm-hmm. Mm. But there were barriers to me being a single parent taking my son to football. So do you know what I taught my son to do was to swim because I used to swim for Oldham. Yeah. I think one of your questions was my greatest sporting achievement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Swimming. And that's the only place that I knew that I was safe in. Yeah. And mm. he could be safe there. So I taught him to swim early and he was a good swimmer and everything. But I think... You know, if I'd had a husband or if I'd had a partner, I think he would have had the opportunity to play football more. Yeah, or indeed maybe with the the greater prevalence of women's football as we're, we're witnessing yeah. in recent years, then you might yeah. have had the confidence to drive that or mentor that in a different way perhaps as well. Sure, sure. We're talking about um, decades where, as I said, language, allyship, everything is changing. Yeah. But in terms of skin colour, I think... And culture and hardened, it's hardened stuff. It really is. We need to really tackle that. We really need to tackle that. And when what I did miss out about being in football stands in the 70s and 80s was the racism. Yeah. Mm. And my dad would look at me, you know, when people would do monkey chants and everything from the stands. And I was in there when, and, and, you know, my dad would just hold on to my hand really tight. Mm. And we'd talk about it when we left the stadium, but not not whilst it was happening. You can't do anything yourself to stop it. You can just, you know, give great big Paddington Bear stares. But, you know, it was a pretty violent racist time that I went to football when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And um, as you so eloquently said, I think, you know, that whilst the language and the nature of the debate changes, the issues sadly seem as prevalent as ever but in the context of racism class gender identity um mm. it's really um so important uh, to, no, to keep you the will. conversation going 
you, Ellie, when he said it. You suddenly, <laughs> Rob, I just waffled. Uh, no, not at all. And <laughs> not it's at all, not at all. You know, I know Jack and I are both passionate about all those issues too, and it's great to, to hear you speak um, so personally about them. I feel almost um, trivial in, in shifting us on in the conversation. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock. But uh, I feel like we need to take you back into Old Trafford to take part in a penalty shootout show. Yes. Where you and I will take each other on in our penalty shootout quiz, which Jack um, comes up with, usually at my disadvantage. Yeah. This week is no different. Oh, really? Great. Oh, that's good. Oh, Sorry, oh, Rob. What are the questions about? Well, you'll have to know. find out. I don't it, know no. either. I'm, I'm so rubbish at quizzes. Are you? I'm on House of Games in the next couple of weeks and I'm shit. <laughs> I was going to say, haven't you been on Weakest Link and stuff as well? I was going to say. Yeah. Well, I think on the Weakest Link I was okay. Was it? No, it's 15 to 1. 15 to 1. Oh, I used to love that. Yeah, that's a good show. And the reason why I got to the final on 15 to 1 is because nobody could nominate me and say my name. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's brilliant. I tell you what, I know nothing. Well, we'll, fi- <laughs> we'll find out. We'll, so we'll see how much you really took uh, notice of the pitches and the players at uh, Manchester United for penalty shootout, Shona Gulati, Manchester United edition. Cue the theme tune. After extra time. And you know what that means? It's penalties. Right, go on then, Jack. Okay, right. Question number one. It, it, I mean, I feel bad now because some of with what you've just said, some of these might be quite <laughs> difficult. Oh, that's all right. It'll be difficult for both of us. It's fine. They're multiple choice, a couple of them, so it'll be fine. Okay, Shobh Nicolati, question number one. When was Manchester United founded? A, 1878 or B, 1888? Oh, God. Mm. <sighs> so, oh. 1878. Oh, there was a bit of a thought about it, and then she's she's took a very good penalty straight into the bottom right hand corner. Great goal, well done, Shepard. Goal as you like. Oh, yeah, very good. good. Finish one nil. Don't ask me about competitions. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, Rob, <laughs> I'm a Leeds United fan, Shepard. So this is way out of my territory. <laughs> Robert, question number one. So uh, another simple question: What mm. is Old Trafford's capacity? A seventy four thousand three hundred and ten. B seventy eight thousand nine hundred and fifty. Oh, now then, mm. I uh, I say I failed last week on the capacity of Wales. Do you know this one? Yeah, I know it. Oh, great. 74,000, because I said that earlier, didn't I? Oh, well... I'm probably going to go for 74,000. That's really odd. How did you, how on earth did you come up with that, Rob? Shona just gave you the answer. But yes, in a weird turn of events, the captain of the opposition team has taken your penalty for you and smashed it into the bottom corner. Yeah, we might take a collaborative approach to these questions. Yeah, maybe you can do. Yeah, maybe you can do. Yeah. Shobna, question number two. Who is Manchester United's most capped player? A, Bobby Charlton. B, Ryan Giggs. Ooh. Mm. That's a great question, isn't it? Uh, I don't... Uh, I think it's Dodgy Ryan. Dodgy Ryan. 
Dodgy Ryan. <laughs> very much dodgy Ryan. <laughs> Allegedly dodgy Ryan. Uh, very good penalty. It is Ryan Giggs. Yes. 963 appearances for Manchester really? United. That guy was a, the Welsh wizard. Yeah. Incredible That's footballer. That's a lot. An incredible football player. Mm. Yeah. He really was. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Well, you're not doing bad for someone who wasn't up looking forward to this quiz show. No, I'm doing all right. These are not like, you know. Who scored blah, 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 blah. Oh, no. <laughs> this is a mastermind. I'm not crazy, Shobna. Yeah, it's not the weakest link, don't worry. Or no, don't 15 worry. to 1. <laughs> okay, Robert Shaw Cameron. Mm. How old was David Beckham when he scored from the halfway line for Manchester United against Wimbledon? Oh. A, 18 or B, 21? You, you do know the goal, right? I, I know the goal. I David Beckham and I are the same age. Uh, some people say we we look alike. Um, uh huh. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> oh, it's just me who says that. Um, uh, well, and I also just watched the David Beckham documentary this oh, week, yeah. um, and I, for some reason I was a bit surprised because I think they said he was twenty one, and I thought, oh, I thought he might have featured before that. Um, now Jack's smirking. I feel like I might have got it wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with twenty one. Fantastic penalty. I thought it would have you out there, but you've done your research. He was indeed 21. I thought he was way younger. I would have thought I don't he was know way why. younger. That surprised me when they when they said that. Right, Shobner, we are oh. on a geography question. How many miles separate Old Trafford and the Etihad Stadium? Uh. Four or six? Mm. Well, of course, you know, culturally and emotionally, it's uh, it's hundreds of miles. Yes. You're, you're yeah. talking physically here, yeah. 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 Um. Uh, are you on Google Maps? Are you looking no, at Google Maps not, quickly? Not <laughs> uh, where we are in relation to each other, mm. Uh, mm. You know, where my house is and where where my house was and where it is. Well, Etihad, obviously, Main Road is some, that was nearer. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. yes, good deduction. I'm gonna go. I don't know. I think I'm not gonna score here. I'm gonna say four. No, you're gonna go six, six or four. Pick one. Four. 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 It's a stuttered penalty run up, planted foot, straight into the top bin. Four miles correct. Hundred percent show, man. Naming it. Excellent work. Um, Brilliant. My question, Jack. Robert. uh, How many times have Manchester United beaten Leeds United in their history? A forty, B fifty. Uh, how many? Do you know how many times they played? Uh, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> but the first fixture was in nineteen twenty-three. I can give you that. Okay, so plenty yes. of times. Well, I mean, historically, you know, apart from a small phase, probably as I was born in the Leeds glory days, Don Revies, when we probably had uh, some good victories over them, and then in the early days of Premier League, it was proper rivalry. But since then, apart from obviously Jermaine Beckford's excellent goal in the FA Cup, I would say I'm going to go. Said for no one ever. Fifty is of course right because uh, Leeds aren't as good, are they? But well uh, done, Rafa. Shobna, how much did Manchester United sign Cristiano Ronaldo for in 2003? Oh. A. Eight point two five million. B. Twelve point two five million. In nineteen, when was that? You signed him in 2003. First time round. First time round, yeah. Hmm. Oh, was he Spenny? (laughs) 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 Earlier, eight point something million, I don't know. Yeah, I'd have gone for that. I'm going for eight something. Eight. 
She's hit the post, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, 12.25. Well, right. Rob can Rob can see how he gets with this one. How yeah. much did Man United sell Cristiano Ronaldo to to Real oh, Madrid for? So okay, the first yeah. transfer away. 50 million or 80 million? Right. So either, you know, 38 million pound profit here or 80 million would be a 68. Um, I think Good maths, well done. Um, I, I'm going to go for, uh, let's go for big big book profit there, 80 odd million. Correct. Good penno. He pulls ahead. Oh right, I Shobna, never win this... these. I never win these. You, do, you never do, actually, yeah. Okay, Shobna, last question. It's at quizzes. Go on. <laughs> Shobna, what was the score in Alex Ferguson's last game for Manchester United as manager? Do I not get any? Do I not get any? <laughs> do you want a clue? No, you don't. I'll, I'll give you a clue. I was there. Oh, that's helpful. Who is it against? West Brom. Quite. There you go. Oh, sorry, I didn't listen. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> was it a draw? It was a draw. High five. Oh, what a penalty. Shogna, fantastic. What a penalty. Incredible. 5-5 five, five it was, yeah. Now, Rob, your final question to win... Oh, yes, cheers. Who scored a hat-trick in that game? Oh, I don't know. I'm gone. Which team was it? I'll give you the team. He played for West Bromwich Albion. But later on in his career, he also played for Manchester United. Oh, God. Oh, God. God. If you could see the stress lines on his face, ladies and gentlemen. Amongst many other lines. I Um, miss. Do you know? You go for it. Who was it? Go, go for it. It's Romelu Lukaku. What a penalty! Oh that is God. top bins. It's ripped through the top bins. Yeah, he was alone. We had him alone for a season. Show him oh that incredible God. scenes. We had him alone. Uh, he had scored seventeen goals. Yeah. So does that is that extra time win? No, you have an extra it. time win. You've won it. Yeah, Five four. Show Incredible. Excellent work. <laughs> oh, wow. Another victory. So that's 51 victories for Manchester United over Leeds United. There you go. Well done, the pair of you. So, Shobna, um, you'll have seen our bucket list of sporting events. Which of those appeal to you most and which one is missing from your from your uh, bucket list, if you had one? Maybe the Grand Prix. Right. Oh, okay, nice. Monaco, yeah. I'd love to just go and, like, sort of... You just want to dress up and sit on a boat and drink, don't you? Yeah, that's... <laughs> you and Robert get on really well, I think. <laughs> I think that's missing off the bus- bucket list of Formula One. But mm. you know what? I really like the idea of kabaddi. Kabaddi, kabaddi, kabaddi. Oh, kabaddi, 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 kabaddi. Everybody's saying this, Shavna. <laughs> because, you know, um, when I was growing up, as I said, you know, women's access to sport... You know, I played hockey at school and I was vicious and I got, you know, <laughs> you know, everybody says I've got boys' knees. Well, you tried being a hockey player. Yes. And uh, Anyway, so then, like, I think kabaddi because I, my mum taught me about that and loads of girls played kabaddi. And it was a bit like that really racist game, British Bulldog, where they'd put the Asian person in the middle of the thing. Yeah. I think it's a great sport, and I think it's a really tactical, even though it looks vicious. Yeah, I think Very it much does. so, yeah. And uh, I, find that, I find that interesting, and I find the fact that women play, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I used to get teased about my legs a lot. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we're going to have to go to a Kabaddi match together, the three of us. Maybe yes. one in London and then obviously off to India next time. Now, of course, there is another premise on this podcast as well. Mm. Now, the whole premise is that we are trying to nab free tickets to our to our sporting list. And mm. every guest that we have on, yeah. we ask them who else they can introduce us to in their contact list that could get us one step closer to uh, to that goal. Well, I've had to think about this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've been thinking about all the sporting personalities that I know. Yes. Oh, yeah. Some of them have uh, played passes at me, and then we'd have to go to extra time and penalty. Wanted to Ooh. So I can't actually let you into my little black book. No, no, I understand that. <laughs> no, no, that, that makes sense. <laughs> Maybe off air you can tell us. But I was thinking about one day I met Eric Cantona. Oh, my God. And what a moment. It was a moment because he came out of the director's lounge at United and I happened to be in the other part of the lounge and everybody was asking him for a photo, um, politely, of yes. course. And then he said, no, I would like a photograph with her. <gasps> oh, my God. Okay, Eric Cantona, you have to Do introduce you still us. still have his number? <laughs> I don't have his number. He didn't leave me his number, and I didn't want to take his number either. No, I can, I can understand. So when you meet your sporting heroes, and he is my sporting hero. Yeah. If we're doing male and female, or they them, he's my sporting hero. He just is because he just says it like it is, and he's philosophical. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, an extraordinary personality, an extraordinary character. Philosophical, says it like it is. Um, interesting. And is also married to a woman who looks fairly similar to me, so I quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially what we're saying is that, you know, we're going to work with you, Shobna, to, to try and somehow get Eric Cantona as a guest on stage or athletic. Is that what we're saying? Yes, you have to. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Brilliant. You know what? He would. Would he? Well, we're gonna we're gonna have this conversation. Producer James, you're in charge <laughs> now of uh, forging that relationship with Eric Cantona. Get his email, James. Um, Get his email. Last last question. Um, we'd love to welcome you to stage our athletic show. No, welcome to be a member of our club. Oh, thank you. Um, we'd like to invite you to take up a position in the club. This could be administrative. It could be sporting. Uh, it could be anything. Um, how? Any thoughts about uh, where you'd like to sit in the in the club hierarchy? Do you know what? I'd like to wash the kits. Yes, perfect. Oh, yes. I'd okay, like to be perfect. A yeah. Person. I love that. Yes. You know, and lay them all out and get them all nice. Yes, like when we come into the dressing yes. room, they're, yes. they're beautifully presented. Everyone's beautiful got their presented. own towel and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, a person after my own heart. A bit of OCD kit beauty woman. in perfect. the lining out of the, the kits in the dressing Laying room. Out, I'm laying out a perfect kit. <laughs> so fantastic Kim i love, love so it so much i thank you so much for for coming on it's been a really 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 brilliant chat and we've covered some really interesting ground so thanks so much and i love that yeah great thank you so much it was brilliant thank you i wish i'll be stopped recording then do you need my little black book <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's full time on another Stage Door Athletic pod. 
Thanks for listening. Make sure to look out for Encores with bonus pod episodes where we talk about all sorts from awful advert auditions to top transfers. And stay in touch. Meet other club members and share your best sporting moments on Instagram at Stage Door Athletic. And on TikTok at Stage Door Athletic as well. Right, we're off to the clubhouse for a pint. Thank you.